Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that doesn't take pot shots at Warren Buffett. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is the straw man himself, Andrew Page. How are you, mate? Very good, mate. Quite the opposite, in fact. It's uh, quite, so? quite the little fanboy club we've got going oh, here when it yes, comes to Buffett. Yes, so- He's Uncle Warren for a reason, isn't he? Let's be honest. I think, I think, by the way, it's probably got 55 years worth of justification for that too. I, there, there, are, there are fanboys and there are fanboys, and I figure if you're going to follow someone, follow someone with a half-century track record. That's a, that's a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty tough one to to, um, to beat, I reckon. If you're going to if you're going to join a cult, join the join the cult of Buffett. Well, he's just would, got so many suggest. pithy little sayings as well, which are really nice. There's sort of there's a Buffett quote for any <laughs> any occasion, <laughs> which, which is nice. It really is. And uh, and look, as I said, he's got he's got a track record. This is interesting though, mate, because. There was another famous investor. We're not going to get into it just yet, but who maybe did or maybe didn't take a pot shot at Warren Buffett, or at least Warren Buffett's investing mm. style, his preferences. So we'll get to that in a minute. Um, mate, uh, what's straw man? I can't remember. It's a, as you know, it's a private <laughs> investment club, my friend. You told me uh, it was a private online investment club last time. You, you changed it up a little bit. You're going back to the the, the, the simpler definition. This time. Uh, yeah, well, no, that's 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 the more correct definition. That's uh, what we are. We we look at stocks, we talk about stocks, and we hopefully give our members a few ideas and um, hopefully challenge some ideas. That's why it's called straw man. Um, the, the big, big idea behind it all is that the best way to improve an investment idea is to challenge it. So if, if your ego can handle it <laughs> and it's, it's sometimes a bit, you know, uh, hard, hard to do, but um, you know, if, if you, I've always said, if you're wrong, you're going to find out one way or the other. So mm-hmm. it's it's better that you have another nice engaged investor yeah, to collaborate with, right. rather than Mr. Market sort of you know wiping thousands mm-hmm. of dollars off your off your net worth. So yeah, that's what it's all about, mate. I'm going to start with a tangent because I can, and because you mentioned the whole and that's time. and that's what we do. Well, yeah, yeah. The, the, this podcast really is a tangent with the occasional actual agenda item thrown in. Mm-hmm. Um, I I've been thinking a lot about this over the last couple of days for a whole lot of different reasons that have kind of coalesced. Not no no particular reason, but. That whole idea of challenging ideas, I am yet to really nail, maybe I never will because if it was possible, someone else probably would have done it already, the best way to actually avoid the confirmation bias, the endowment effect, the psychological traps that really truly get in people's way. You know, mm. it's, so what, you know, the human brain is a, is a weird and wonderful thing. One of the things it's really, really good at is once you've made a decision, it's like it puts up, you know, it's, it's like a bloody, you know, the front lines of the Western Front. I mean, there's rows of barbed wire and trenches and landmines. And mm-hmm. once you've once you formed an idea, the ability, like just to sub, not, not to have conscience, not someone who says, buggy, I'm not changing my mind, I don't care. I mean, that's that's the impact of it. But mm. even someone who says, no, no, I'm open to that, changing that idea. Yeah. Even then, your brain is still thrown up four or five lines of defences just because we instinctively, subconsciously, innately hate being wrong and hate, hate being told we're wrong and don't have to change our minds. There's something just so deeply ingrained that says, once I form that view, I can say I'm open to changing it. I can want to be open to changing it. It's still just really, really, really hard. And uh, yeah. I don't know how I don't know how to I don't know how to I don't know if it's possible. I mean maybe it's purely biological, right? And there are things you can do, but the instinctive reaction to want to, you know, it, 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 you say, look, I'm open to being wrong. But I think I'm right. And here's why I think I'm right. Mm. It's almost like that's almost the point. You know, we're mm. so keen. Yeah. Um, in, again, instinctively, not, not consciously, just instinctively, biologically. Um, I, I don't know if that's a question, a statement. Just I, I tweeted about it during the week. Any thoughts on that? Just that broad idea. Well, you're 100 percent right. I mean, there's a million psychological experiments that demonstrate it beyond a doubt. 
Um, mm. it, it, it is, it is, <laughs> yeah. it is very real, and it's, it is. I think you're right. It's one of those things that, at best, you can be aware of and you can try mm. to work on, but it, it is always going to be there. And what will really screw with your head is that actually if you go too far the other way, that's just as bad. If you're the kind of person that flip-flops and changes their mind all the time, well, that's bad. Yeah. So, I mean, this is – we've talked about – You need about, conviction, right? Yeah. This is this really weird dichotomy with investing uh-huh. where on one hand you need to have the strength of your convictions and to be able to ignore the noise of the market and hmm. falling prices when when the thesis you know remains in your view ch- true. So you've got to do that. But at the same time, you've got to be someone who – who can willingly mm. and sometimes mm. necessarily rapidly change their mm. mind if, if the facts warrant it. So you're kind of you're balancing off these two things against each other. Mm. It's really it's super hard. I don't. How do you do it? I, well, there's nothing you can do to solve it. But well, that's for, kind of right. But for me, the best hack to use that term is <laughs> is writing it down and Hashtag life hack. just a word doc, whatever. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And just say, why am I buying this company? Mm. And mm. and Maybe someone just writes down because the share price is going up. Now that's not mm-hmm. a great investment um, thesis, but at least yeah, at least yeah, you yeah. sort of you've got something to to ground yourself on because you're mm. the easiest person to trick, right? <laughs> um, and and what will happen is is uh, you, mm. you'll buy a, a company for whatever reason. The mm. facts will change, but then you will. It's called thesis creep. You will yeah, morph yeah. that investment thesis in a way that preserves <laughs> your ego and means right. that you don't have to do something. But yep. I feel as though yep. when you write it down. And not only when you write it down, but when, at the same time, write down the factors that would cause you to sell. So here's yeah. why I think mm. this is a good investment idea. Here are all the things that I'm expecting. And you, yeah, right. you put, some, you put some, um, some posts along the way. So I'm expecting, you know, growth of around about this, this uh, quality. I'm yeah. expecting this, 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 and this. So you, so you can actually got some things to measure against other than the share price, which is usually the worst thing to sort of measure yourself <laughs> yeah, against in, right. the, in the short term. <laughs> yeah. um, but at the same time, write down, yeah. So look, if this happened, I, I would mm-hmm. consider this busted. And I think it's, it's, yeah. it's okay to sell really rapidly in that situation and then think, Without that that um, that endowment mm. effect, without mm. without that without that ownership bias that comes with yeah, it, yeah. because the great thing about the share market is is mm. that you mm. can press a few buttons and buy back in. Yes, <laughs> look, generally you're doing that if the, if the share price has gone down, so there's no tax consideration. Um, um, and brokerage these days is so simple, mm. so so cheap, I should say. So so that it's it's something that I'm, I'm the last person to advocate for trading and rapidly trading but when there's a there's there's enough cause for doubt in there sell the damn thing and then if you if you then after a, a period of reflection come back to actually no that was the wrong thing to do buy back in yeah. um but you, you'll probably be thinking a bit a bit clearer really hard to do of course but I don't know there, there are there are some of the things I do write write it down and, and be prepared to sort of walk away before you do your thinking. I love that, mate. I'll I'll, um, I'll take a, an angle on that last one particularly. Even if you don't sell the shares, um, you and I have talked about this before on, on the podcast probably a couple of times, probably even in the old days, um, but the idea of you know pretending your entire portfolio went to cash tonight when the market closes. Yeah, I love that. And then yep. you got, you know, would you buy back yep. the same stocks in the same position? Because you, that, that's, as you're saying, as you're saying, the, you know, sell it and buy back later, it's exactly true, right? Let's mm. say you own shares in, in Woolies. Mm. Should I sell it? Should I sell it? No, no, I won't sell it for X, Y, Z reasons. Mm. If you then sold it anyway, mm. or your, your, your partner accidentally hit the sell button or you catwalked across the keyboard, mm. you went, oh, should I buy it back? Oh, no, no, I won't bother. Yeah. 
Yeah, yep. and, and I can I can imagine exactly like I could absolutely put myself in that position, right? Yeah. Of and I, I think I'm better than average. I think you're better than average at doing this stuff reasonably well because we've been around the block a few times and we make this our life's work as a, as investors. But you know, I, I could imagine myself if you know, there are some positions I hold. And we'll talk about one a bit later, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if if circumstances were that all of a sudden it somehow got sold from me and I had to choose to buy it back, mm. I'm not sure I would, which yeah. is stupid, right? Like it, it's literally irrational, Yeah. Um, which is where, where our brains are. Yeah. Right? yeah. The other one I want to oh, – I got. Oh, it's crazy. I agree. Yeah. The other one I want to touch on is, is a similar version of the same thing. You talked about changing your mind too much. Mm. And the other thing I, I, I tweeted you – this is not about my tweets, by the way, just one of those investing kind of behavioural biases that we talk about a lot. What I, what I found fascinating over the last – 18 months, two years when it comes to COVID. I'm not going to talk about COVID in any, you know, I don't, I don't care. Um, I don't want to get into that conversation. Although I feel free, as I always say, and then I'll have to deal with the hate mail. Thank you. Um, the, uh, one of the one of the things that were really weird about the COVID thing was over the first six or 12 months of the pandemic, the authorities had to deal with new information. And as they did that, whether that was the efficacy of vaccines, whether that was the idea of whether or not masks were important or useful in stopping the spread, whether it was how likely kids were to get COVID or be impacted by all that stuff that kind of, Mm. we didn't know anything about this. Like it didn't exist two years ago, right? Literally two years ago. Mm. And so as we kind of learned more, did more, as we got results from other people's experiences, the authorities and and regulatory bodies changed their rules or their views or their expectations or whatever it was. Mm. And what I find is fascinating is the degree to which that stressed the hell out of Australians. Mm. And it's not a criticism necessarily. It's just an observation that I have a, I have a deep feeling that if we'd have put you – know, that, that if we'd – no one ever says I'd rather be wrong, thank you. Mm. But I have a feeling that people would have been happier with the wrong advice maintained – Rather than better advice replacing the bad, or the, or oh yeah, the, not even bad advice, just the worst advice. Oh, hundred right? percent. So, you know, so many times we heard during the thing, oh, what are the rules now? Oh, now I can't do that. Well, yesterday I could do that. What do you mean the vaccine is not great? What do you mean it's okay? Yeah. Um, yep. You know, you keep changing your mind. I can't trust you. And it's just this this real. If we just said to everybody, you know, go and get jabbed with AstraZeneca, and we're never going to talk about it again. Mm. Or don't get jabbed with AstraZeneca. We're never going to talk about it again. And people are like, mm. oh, good, okay, cool. The fact they went. Oh, look, this isn't great. Oh, so they first went, well, this is, this is good. They went, oh, there's a couple of adverse reactions. Maybe just hold off. And then it was, oh, crap, the, the COVID's spreading. It's actually now worth it on the balance of probabilities to get vaccinated with AZ because, mm. you know, the chance of catching it is now much higher. Yeah, and, it could, just and, completely... and the advice could change again next week, right? And that's, right, right. That... And that was completely justified by the science and the experience. Mm. But the response from people was, they don't know what they're doing. You mentioned flip-flopping before in, in a different context. But mm. I, just, I just found it absolutely fascinating on reflection. Yep. That we just really struggle as humans to cope with that that change. Yep. If we just if the government had said eighteen months ago, do this one thing for the next eighteen months, we'd have grumbled about it and gone, oh, okay, I guess I'll do it. Yep. But the fact it changed was actually what what kind of drove people slightly nuts. And then you think, well, what would you rather? Would you rather bad advice that doesn't change, or would you rather bad advice that's replaced with better advice? Well, well it, of it's course very, you should prefer the latter. Very common in our game too. You know, if you mm. you make a recommendation, you put it out there, <laughs> yeah, and then a, right. you know six months later, you say actually no sell. Well, that's but true. you said, but you said, and I was like, yeah, but yeah. I'm really fond of the J.P. Morgan saying that the man, not the company, um, <laughs> who said when the facts change, I change my mind. What what do you what do? That, what's and that, Keynes? Oh, was it? Oh, I think it was John Manning. Oh, no, I've been misquoting for years now. <laughs> I'll look it up while you talk. Well, it, either way, it, it's such an – I think it's such a – it reverses it, it, it inverts it. And it, it, <laughs> yeah. it basically says, well, 
if you don't change your mind <laughs> when the facts change, or mm, even mm. if you're, the facts are the same but your interpretation of those facts change <laughs> yeah. on, on, on more quiet re- contemplation and reflection, I mean, then, mm. that's a really dumb thing to do. And there's another one. I'm pretty sure this one's right. It's from Bezos. And he says, anyone who doesn't change their mind often vastly underestimates the complexity of the world we live in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I love exactly. as well yes. because we yes. just, we, 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 we're working with ideas and theories mm. and they sort mm. of seem mm. to fit. And then, and then we, we learn a little bit more and, yeah. and we need to change and we need to ne- sometimes change rapidly. One more, one more pithy saying, um, which is mm. you want, you want, um, uh, strong convictions, weekly held. Um, I love that one. That's one which is another one favorites. is is really well, uh, yep. really well put as well. It's just, it's just life. You know, I wish yeah. the, the only the only vocation that tends to get away with it is the meteorologists and all oh, right. <laughs> yeah, and, well, politicians that they get really <laughs> they, they get really attacked when they change their mind. I always that, think, that was, I yeah, think it's right. a really sign yeah, of great strength to yeah, to be able to change yeah. your mind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but and, and I think with, with with the weather, you you understand it because it well, it's you know technically it's a chaotic system. It's v- very sensitive on initial conditions. It's very 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 <laughs> difficult to do. It's the it's the old yeah. saying, you know, why can we put a man on the moon, but we can't, <laughs> but we can't forecast the weather. Well, the easy answer is it's just harder to forecast yeah, the yeah, weather. That's right. Believe it we, or not, yeah, we exactly, accept it. Exactly. But but in other yep. domains, we're we're very less forgiving of that yep, kind of yep. stuff. But I, I think it's a wonderful strength for for mm. anyone who who can do that. Again, not not just flip flopping on on the, the the latest trends and fads and whatever but mm-hmm. on 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 a sound objective basis <laughs> i i think i think you need to on all whether yeah. politics investing economics whatever it's it's mm-hmm. it's a sign of i think it's a sign of intelligence personally hard to do nice, i like it <laughs> but, i like it yeah that's what we, we like to think so we're trying to do exactly that and we think we're smart so um so you might you might you'll be happy to know mate that you were wrong but i was also wrong Oh, okay. So it, it, the quote is widely attributed to Keynes. So I, I'm right in the sense that I've used the popular uh, attribution, but it's actually completely wrong. Turns out there's no evidence, apparently according to Quote Investigator, which is a great website, there's no evidence that Keynes ever said that. Okay. It's actually Paul Samuelson in the uh, 70s. Uh, who's he? The US economist. Oh, right. So there you go. Yes, apparently, apparently I'll, that was. Uh, will, so, so the so the story goes. I will correct myself. It's 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 another um, little behavioural hack. It's it's called a call to authority. So if right, you're going right. to say something, yes, it's yes, always yes. better to say as Buffett, <laughs> said. Buffett said. If, I, you know, if, it's, if it's Andrew Page says, it's like okay, that's that's nice. Or Warren Buffett like, said it, or yeah, J.P. Right, Morgan right. said it, or John Templeton <laughs> said it, or you know, oh, maybe it's true. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anyway, mate, that's a, that's a nice uh, tangent to start us off. Let's get back to some degree. <laughs> 20 minutes of, in. Of, of let's an, get to the agenda. Of an agenda. Um, well, and we've only got a couple of quick things to get through. Um, I'm not going to spend too long on this. We spend too much time on interest rates. I say that and then we normally spend too much time on interest rates. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm just going to let you know and let – I'm sure you know. I'm sure most of our listeners probably know as well. Uh, the bond market, the, the collection of investors who buy and sell bonds, have now priced in an official cash rate of 1.5%. Mm. By April 2023. Yeah. That is 17 months' time, effectively the equivalent of six quarter point rate increases mm. over the next 17 months. Oof. Now, the bond market could be wrong. Yep. The RBA certainly thinks the bond market is wrong. And at the end of the day, it's the one making the calls. But the bond market is pretty sure because that's how they're, again, the, you know, the, the interaction of buyers and sellers sets the price. In this case, the price is the interest rate. Uh, mm. the, the, it's in, implied the rate will be 1.5% by April 2023, which is just, a, a, you know, uh, interesting, scary, depending on who you are and what you're doing. Mm. Uh, the, the simple reality, by the way, is that takes a 2.5% mortgage rate to about 4%. Mm. So mm. if you're paying a mortgage right now, 
I don't want to scare you. I'm not trying to be the boogeyman. I'm not trying to. Um, I have no. I have no. So what? Other than go and drop on a mortgage calculator and whack whatever rate you're in now, and then whack in you know one and a half percentage points higher than that, because that might be what you're paying in eleven or eighteen months time. And again, maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe I'm over cautious or over. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm guilty of taking too much out of that. But just just do me a favor. Um, just have a have a look at what that might cost you, and start to think about how you're going to meet those requirements. I'm not again. I'm not saying it's it's not it's not stupidly onerous. Um, it's not terribly high, um, but it will cost you more. Than it's costing you now. Mm-hmm. And if you're not already paying more into your mortgage, you're going to have to find some money from somewhere else to pay that mortgage. If you are, then fantastic, well done. So I would, if it was me right now, I would be putting in four percent in my mortgage calculator, working out the repayments, and starting to pay that off now if you're not already just to get yourself used to it. Because if it doesn't happen, you're miles ahead in the mortgage. If it does happen, you're not going to be caught up when that um, when those rates increase and trying to work out where the money's going to come from. Uh, yeah. And look, the uh, we've got a very smart listenership, uh, as you we know. Do. And I'm sure that anyone who took on a, a loan of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe millions of dollars, probably did that beforehand anyway. And if yes. they didn't, the bank does that for you in theory. Uh, yep. where they sort of stress test it and put a, bu- a buffer on top of it. So unless you Is lied it? on your application yeah. form or you thought that ne- nothing was ever going to change, you, you <laughs> should be right. It's going to suck. I mean, it's not what you want to see as a, as yep. a, as a mortgage holder. Yep. But um, I, I'd, I'd be confident that most most of our very smart listeners would have would have factored that in beforehand. And as, as I've often said here, mm. it's not – look, whether the bond market is right or wrong or the RBA is right or wrong, I mean, they're probably wrong. Yeah. And for the same reason that the weatherman is often wrong because <laughs> – It's hard. It's a, again, it's like open a yeah. book on chaos, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it is It is. It is. one of the classic examples of a, of a chaotic system. It's just super, super, super hard to predict. So they'll, they'll, Should a book they, on chaos be printed in random order? <laughs> no, well – um, there you go. Yeah, boom. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but 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 I, I, I've always I've always felt as though that. So what do you do with that information, knowing that that it's mm. very hard to predict and most people will be wrong? It's so like, well, you just you just uh, you <laughs> you ask the so what. So like, I don't know what's going to happen, but if it did happen, what does that look like? And I've thought that through and I've considered that that scenario. Mm. I think that's that's the best that you can do, and and yeah. that that way it's kind of like if it doesn't, well, great, you're okay, and if it does, well, that's cool too. You've you've factored it in, and mm-hmm. it's it's the person who assumes that nothing's going to change over the life of a twenty five year old twenty five year long mortgage, yeah, who's 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 going to be get caught out and screaming at the government or someone to do something and bail them out, and you know it's unfair yeah. and rah rah rah, and like well. Mm, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think prepare for the worst, hope for the best is, is a very good mantra when it comes to these things. Very good. And mate, I think you're right that our listenership, almost to a person, uh, are sound, thoughtful, intelligent people who are doing the right thing. I also think that uh, having had uh, mortgages for <laughs> most of my adult life, um, it's it's very easy to adopt the standard of living that your mortgage repayment allows you to, even if you can technically afford to repay the mortgage. Mm. And that's all That's all I'm saying is, you know, it's easy to kind of go, well, I got stress tested on four and a half percent. I can afford that. So I got the mortgage, mm. but I only have to pay back this much. So that's what I'm paying back. Mm. That Those are different things, right? And sometimes other people will say, hopefully most people listening to us will have said, well, I know it could go up, so I'm going to pay more off the mortgage. Or at least I'm saving the difference so I know that I've got it if I need it. Or, you know, my lifestyle hasn't hasn't expanded that much. Mm. But there's school fees and cars and Netflix subscriptions and clothes and holidays. And, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't, if, if, mm-hmm. particularly if you took out a mortgage five, seven, eight years ago 
and you've had sequential declines, unless you've literally made a point of maintaining a higher repayment rate or kind of in your budget, having a budget line that says extra saving for the time when mortgage goes up, it's just very, very easy. As we know, we were talking about behavioural biases. You know, if you do a mortgage five, six years ago, are you really still right now thinking, I've got that extra money that I'm saving every single month for the mortgage specifically? Mm. And maybe you are and that's great. Most people probably are. Mm. So I, just, I just want to flag that for the just for the just for the sake of it, I think it's just just be prepared for the impact. I, I don't think, as you say, people will be losing houses over it, particularly our listenership, but uh, there might well be lifestyle changes that are required. And I just I just would suggest they start to move into that now. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. a really good skill. We're, we're all goldfish in the sense that we grow to the size of our bowl. Yeah. Right. Yes. Exactly. You know. So it's it's there's there's plenty of people um, living yes. in very posh suburbs who are under financial stress. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's it's hard to sort of maintain the three Bentleys and, you know, whatever <laughs> else that you have. Yeah, exactly. And, and I can't tell you the number of, particularly, you know, back in the day when I was closer to the end, you'd know a few investment bank and you think, mm-hmm. oh, my God, eye-watering offensive salaries. And mm. they're all strapped for cash yeah. because, I don't know what they're spending it on. But but they just ad- adapt to that. I, I think mm-hmm. it's, I've, I've been lucky in the sense for me as I've, my career's progressed and I've gotten older or whatever, my lifestyle hasn't changed at all because I've just got very simple needs and wants. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's a superpower in terms of mm-hmm. financial um, advantage because because as as that goes up, if your if your expenses don't rise in tandem with your your income, mm-hmm. that's just extra fuel for the right. fire to either repay that that mortgage or to invest with. It's just it's yeah. so massively powerful. That's the whole fire movement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I find that um, financially independent, retire young. It's one of those acronyms, and sort of early dude. something. Early what did I say? Retire. Oh, young. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> That'd be fiery, which is a whole fiery, different thing. Yeah, different thing. But I like it. Um, <laughs> but you, but it's it's a bit of a movement, and and more yeah. so with the sort of Gen Y and below kind of people where it's, mm-hmm. who are just like I'm just throwing everything I yeah. can at this because yeah. I I think it's so smart and so just shows such. <laughs> some people take it too far and they live in a you know in a tent and eat two minute noodles or whatever, but. You know, when someone who starts doing that at 20 who retires at 45, a very yeah, wealthy exactly. person. Exactly. Eh, the trouble is is that the chains, <laughs> here's a Buffett quote, the chains of habit are, are too lightly felt until they're too heavy yes, to be broken. To be broken. Nice. And, and I, I know more than a few people, particularly my mm-hmm. sort of parents' generation, who are loaded. You know, they, they were, we were like on high incomes, but they were just the, the baby boomers who yeah. just had an incredible wealth windfall yeah, yeah, with property yeah. and, and rah, rah. Yeah. But they are as tight as you can imagine. And and, and just because- That's they, how you get wealthy, right? That's you, the point. You can't, with it, but it's sort of like the, the mental switch is you, you yeah. after a lifetime oh, yeah. of being frugal, yeah. it just yeah. actually caused almost physical pain to start spending <laughs> on that. You know, can't buy yeah. a new car or can't do it because that's not what you do. And it's like, I totally, yeah. I think actually really applaud it to a yeah. point- <laughs> Until you kind of think, well, money is is live your life. Is, yeah, yeah. is there? It, it has a utility in terms of mm, being able mm. to let you do the things that you want to do. And and yeah. it's while it's great to sort of sacrifice now for for more consumption later. If yep. you never increase that consumption, it's kind of like just sitting there mm-hmm. doing nothing, and the kids yeah. will get it, I guess, eventually, and they'll they'll have a good time with it. So there's a, you know, in all things in life, there's a balance good for us. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, it's it's a real. I, I love. The, can I say the fire acronym is the world's worst acronym? Like the word fire is kind of cool. It's kind of sparky and hot and financially independent retire. It's like it's you got to put like a semicolon in there yourself. It's just it's a, it's a world's worst acronym. But as you say, it's a big movement, and yeah, it is. Um, it is. I mean, I I really like it. You know, like I. 
I, half the time I spend my life thinking, those young people, I've got to get back with the program. If they don't buy a house yet, price is going to keep going up. You know what they've got to deal with? Like, you know, there's some element of like, you can complain and put it off, but you only make it harder for yourourself. The other part of it is like, you know what? Knock yourself out. Like, live, live, don't, don't join the rat race like the rest of us. Actually, you know, yeah. actually kind of live a life that's different. Go and live in the proverbial tent with two minute noodles or whatever it is you need to do for X number of years and, or, or buy a house further out in the suburbs or mm. go and work for, Something that pays you a little bit less, but it's just a better. Like there are, there's some real benefits in that. That yeah. I think, because we were kind of the kids of boomers, we kind of inherited their drive, and they inherited it from their parents who went through the depression. So it's kind mm. of like this, you know, echo of of. I do wonder, by the way, if, if part of the millennials' freedom is just simply they haven't been through those sort of financial dire straits like our parents did and their parents did in some ways. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's a part of me. I say, part of me thinks, oh God, come on, pull it together. The other half is like, you know what? You're actually living, you're living a life here. Mm. Um, encouraging them to join the rat race may not be the best, may not be the best thing to do. I'm not sure. I will think. I do think it's a lot of the younger generation has perpetually been unfairly tainted. Um, yes, totally. You know, like when we were kids, uh, the older generation would sort of say, "We're, you know, this this generation has got it wrong." And like, you know, when our parents were going through the '60s and '70s, you know, it was like, "Oh, these beatnik hippies," you know, they don't. (laughs) And then the next generation, and then the older generation always looks on the younger generation with with some kind of contempt and loathing, and we're just all jealous that we're not young anymore. I guess. Well, not only that, by the way, but the younger generations become the older generations. To your point about the beatniks and the hippies of the '70s, that's the boomers that people complain about today, right? These were the anti-government, the protesters, the you know, peace-loving mung yeah. beans, the, you know, pot smokers. <laughs> you know, they, they, these were the original rebels, right? And now they are the boomers that the, the millennials shake their fists at. There is also, I say, the young, young people have always been given a hard time with the old people, but the young people have always become the old people yeah. as well. There's, there's some sort of perverse poetry about that whole thing. I think. Oh, I'm not true. sure what it is. But true. You only need to have bizarre. kids to realise that when you start yelling at your kids <laughs> yeah. and realise this is exactly what my dad yelled at me. But I used to hate. My father. God, I used to hate it. And he's like, oh, he was right. <laughs> I walk around the house turning off light switches. I'm oh, every man, day. Down to every day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll turn the light off for you. Don't worry. It's all right. I got oh. it. <laughs> Okay, mate. Let's just turn to the Angry Old Man podcast. Let's let's move on a little bit. Um, I want I want to stay with the topic, but but move forward just a little bit. Um, housing. I'm I'm always reluctant to bring it up, uh, mostly because <laughs> if I start you on a rant, I can go and make coffee and come back and be pretty comfortable. You're still going to be going. You can go harvest um, the beans and roast them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How grow them? Mate. I'll go plant them. <laughs> um, the the CBA this week. Uh, is ex- says expecting house prices to fall 10% mm-hmm. in 2023. Not coincidentally, also the time when the, uh, the bond market expects the, the official cash rate to go up from 0.1% to 1.5%. I imagine there's some synergy there. Mm. Um, it might be a shock for some people who don't remember that house prices fall sometimes. Yeah, they, they actually do, believe it or not. Um, I, look, again, as, my, as much as that resonates with personal biases that I have. Um, they, they, you know, they, no. they, they've made, the banks have made plenty of predictions that have turned out to be absolute rubbish. Well, that's also true. And I would even say, yeah, I would even say true. that, you know, anyone who's bought a property in the last year, who cares? Mm. You've gone, a th- what yeah, is it, 30% up in Sydney, um, yep. not far off in other capital cities and around, yep. the, around the place. So, I mean, this is the share market, right? So mm. if, if you're taking, you know, three steps forward and one step backward, you're still in a pretty good place, mm. you know? Um, so it's, 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 I don't think too many people will suffer from that. Mm. There's a there's a there's another thing here you've, you've got to imagine too. When you look at the 
the aggregation of everyone out there who's got a mortgage, mm. even people who went right to the limit and right to the eyeballs on, on yeah. where they yeah, were. Yeah, exactly. It's only really yeah. the people who have taken it out very. Let's say, let's say for the sake of argument, that's true, and mm. and prices are sort of flat for the twenty twenty two, and then down ten percent. There, it's only mm. the recent people um, on the ladder, as much as I hate that term, that are, that are going to feel that because others have actually had the advantage of, A, a big increase in, in equity in the interim and also mm-hmm. the, more of an ability to to pay down some of that debt. So right. it, it, it will... It will suck to, to some extent, but not that not as much as as we think. There are some people who, if you were in 2015 and just did everything very recklessly <laughs> and just borrowed on, on on and then borrowed and borrowed and borrowed, yes, and then whenever yes, you got yes. a little bit of equity, you rolled that in. Like that's a extraordinarily risky, highly leveraged bet. Yeah. But it's kind of like if you're at a point for a lot of these people now, it's actually like you're mm-hmm. actually okay because mm-hmm. even even if it was the full 20%, maybe you have to sell mm-hmm. one of your seven investment properties, you're still okay. <laughs> so there's there's something to be said for like even if mm-hmm. you've done something that was very reckless and silly, if you get away with it for long enough, you get to a point where it's mm-hmm. kind of like you're, you're pretty bulletproof. Um so I don't, know, I don't know what the point of that is. It's just that sure. you got you got away with it in 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 some yeah. ways, but yeah, property, property, any asset can go down in value. Yes. And and it's one of the things that really drives me crazy about mm. the property mm. is where people say, oh, yeah, but it never goes down. It's just like mm. that's it, – it, but it does and it can. <laughs> I mean, you, just, you look at history, uh, you yep. look at – Look at Ireland, look at Spain, look at the US, look at other Western industrialised first world countries in recent history and it happens Um, and it happens in areas that have very um, limited land and uh, all the kind of drivers that sort of people sort of use to to rationalise why it's somehow different in Australia. And again, this isn't to sort of say that, that... it will or it's about to, and if it does, it'll be 20%. I mean, it's just silly, those kinds of forecasts. But I just think that that notion that it can't is bold. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't predicate my life savings on on that. Yeah. That hope. That's a good point. I think it's also too worth saying that I, I, I'm, we can never say anything for sure. But if house prices do fall, it's unlikely to cause anyone any damage, mm. as long as you're not planning to sell that property. Mm. Um, yep. Bank technically can actually call in mortgages, but they don't, mm. and it would be stupid for them to do so because they create a domino effect they couldn't recover from. So, yep. the, the, the simple reality, the behavioural reality for the banks is they're not that stupid. And yeah, if you buy a million dollar house and it's worth nine hundred grand a year later, that is really, really going to suck. Mm. You're going to feel like you were screwed over, or you did the wrong thing, or you made a mistake, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't even know what happens after that price wise. But if you're buying a property to live in, you're going to live in it for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, or a, or a sequence of properties. By the way, mm. you know, uh, as a result, um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too, I wouldn't be too worried about it. I, I don't think you should take an action as a result of falling house prices, put it that way. And it's, certainly don't yeah. don't stress about it. it just doesn't, you don't need to worry about it, right? Like maybe in the full time you've overpaid, I'd be very surprised. I, I just say, man, it's kind of a little bit like the, the stock market in a lot of ways. They, it falls sometimes but tends to go up over time. Yep. Um, I'd be very surprised. If you bought a house price at the very top of the property market whenever that happens and you come back 10 years later, it's unlikely you're still underwater. And as long as you're paying off a, 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 a you know an asset to live in that's going to you know be a lifestyle asset, not a, not a financial asset, then... I don't think anyone should be super freaked out about it. I wouldn't be concerned if I was buying investment property and expecting something to change. But um, yeah, yeah, as long as you can afford the repayments and as long as you're doing it for lifestyle reasons, for family reasons or for whatever, just for security, for stability, for whatever it is you want to buy for, um, don't don't freak out even when that happens. And it, it probably wins the point, right? It's it's such a it's such an important point because I mean this is <laughs> 
I, I think this is the nub of the problem is that the property has been financialized. It's been mm. turned into an instrument. Here's one of my, one of my bugbears. You don't buy a property anymore. One of them. You right. get into the market. <laughs> yeah. right? You see it on the news all the time. House, People have yeah, something right. yeah. on 7.30. Oh, yes, we, we, we really wanted to get into the market. And like, no, you were buying a house. Actually, no, you were buying a home, right? To, <laughs> right, yes. To, to yes, live yes. in. I Love hate it. this thing. Yep. The market is yep. there when, when you need to transact. Other than that, what's the point of it? It doesn't. That's the only thing that it serves, mm. the only function that it serves. And so if you're buying a home to live in, and again, you've been sensible in accounting for potential increases in costs or whatever, and even if it turns out after 20 years that it's it's averaged a pretty ordinary kind of return, yeah, but you've had a house to live in that whole time. You've had security. You've had the the, the, the pride of ownership. You've had all of the, the rights and privileges that sort of come with that. It's not a terrible outcome. And I think I think that's where we've gotten a little lost in this country where it's it's it isn't about somewhere to live. It's a it's a wealth creation vehicle. Yep. And that, that that actually makes no sense at all, particularly when you're living in a house, because you buy a house today and it goes up 10x next year. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you? How, how does that benefit you? Like, yeah, exactly. It, you, you can sell it, but now you're on yep. the street, so yep. you're probably going to have to buy another house. So Correct. the only way it benefits that's right. The only way it benefits yeah. you is if you downsize or you move to a cheaper market or or something like that. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you're going to be buying and selling in the same kind of market. So, and just quietly, mate, people who move to cheap markets don't buy cheaper houses. They they just buy more with the money. And I, I speak I speak from absolute Absolutely. experience yeah. where True. we sold a, we sold a place in suburban Sydney, moved to the Southern Highlands down in Barrel, uh, and we spent every dollar that we made buying a slightly larger pl- property, which was great. But no one, no one. I mean, well, no. a few people occasionally downsize. Yeah, yeah. But if you yeah. move to cheaper markets, and look, I shouldn't say no one does. Of course, someone does, and someone listening to us obviously right now has. So well, well done, I don't mean, no have. one, no one. Yeah. But uh, it's very rare people go. You know what? I'm going to sell my expensive Sydney property and move to Orange and bank the savings. Yeah. You're going to go. Oh, I wonder what I can afford in Orange. Yeah. I can afford that. Let's go and buy that place or yeah. whichever whichever town it is. By the way, it's, it doesn't have to be Orange, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it, it's 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 100 true. So I, I just yeah. I just think that um, differentiate between a home to live in versus an yes. investment. And my, my, my concern is more over the, the, the people making an investment today, mm-hmm. recently, in the yep. sense that when you're, again, I think a really nice, this is, a, this is ostensibly a podcast about the share market, so I'll tie mm. it back to that. Let's, okay, let's, let's pretend. Let's pretend, that, <laughs> let's pretend that the average Sydney property is, is, is a share. Mm. Yep. Um, that is offering you well. Let's, let's and let's talk in real terms here. Like so, mm-hmm. so net yield. So once you've deducted your your costs and, and all the rest mm-hmm. of it, on average mortgages and all this, you're probably getting a yield of half to one percent. You know, if mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are actually getting negative yields, yep. um, and you've got an asset whose uh, whose income is historically is tended tended to rise at about the rate of wage growth because you know you've got to put a renter in there and renters can afford what renters can afford yep. um and and so it's it's not like a SaaS startup company that's going to compact <laughs> rent doesn't increase for 20% each yeah, year for the next yeah. 5 years as it may have with zero mm-hmm. or afterpay or something like that so you, so even an optimist would probably say that you, you're going to get maybe <laughs> rate of inflation rate of wage growth 3 let's mm-hmm. call it 4% mm-hmm. to be generous and you're paying a pe multiple on that which is probably akin to around about 30, 35 or something. So if I was to present to you, hey, Scott, i got a share. It's virtually got no yield. The dividend yield's virtually <laughs> nothing. Uh, the income, the, the profit growth is probably going to be, you know, 3 4% inflation kind of system growth. Mm. Would you, would you, and, and it's trading at a PE of 35. Would you buy it? Like, no way you would buy it. But because mm. it's a house, 
I don't know. For some reason, those those normal rules don't apply. It doesn't. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It, again, it's one of those things. Just to preempt people who might be screaming at their podcast machine right now, <laughs> it has been a remarkable strategy when when capital values rise, and that's that's the bet, right? So you, I don't care that I'm making no money or potentially even losing money on a, on a financial year basis mm-hmm. through the rent and, and costs and that. Mm-hmm. But that's cool because I get a bit of a tax bonus, and then I get this massive capital gain. So my argument for I guess that the the housing market increasingly getting more difficult is a mathematical one. Mm. And it's probably summed up best by that say, that lovely saying, I don't know who said this, maybe we should search this one up, um, <laughs> trees don't grow to the sky. Yeah. So, so, so take a bit of graph paper and put in whatever your starting point is, call it a million dollars, the median mm-hmm. house price in Sydney. And and grow that by what your assumption is. Let's say mm. let's say ten percent, because people say that property doubles every seven years, mm. um, and and so then it's one million one hundred thousand, and then it's one million two hundred something thousand, and then da, 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 and just just keep drawing that line out. Mm, mm, mm. Now on the same chart, draw out what your income is or the average income, and mm. and plot that forward. Now we can argue the tosses to at what point of divergence that becomes unsustainable. But mathematically, logically, incontrovertibly, it reaches a point where the gap becomes so wide. Now, maybe it gets to the point where the house is now at a billion dollars and, 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 <laughs> and you know, average incomes are, are only at $300,000. Like, but at a yeah. point, again, mathematically, just those, those jaws widen and widen and widen and widen. And there, there comes a point where it's not – it's not academic anymore. It's just there is people just don't have the ability, the money, to mm. to to bridge to bridge that gap, and that 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 that's where there is an absolute real limitation on all this stuff. That's been mitigated to a huge degree in 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 the last ten years or longer, really, where interest rates have come down. So that's that's allowed that to happen. But if now we're now going to a, a stage where even if interest rates don't go up, but they just don't go down any further, and you'd argue they probably can't go down much further unless we, we get into negative rates. Now you're kind of de- on, on an affordability basis, which is what underpins everything, what people actually pay or, or afford to rent. It gets it, it gets to a point that it's just it's just it's going to have to stop. Hmm. Does that make sense? Have I explained it that? Does. You have. I, I am though back from making my coffee, so we might move on. Uh, no, you're, you're exactly right. No, I just want to clarify. It's, it's not yeah. to say, oh, it's all going to crash tomorrow and it's going to crash. Yeah, it's yeah. not. But at a point, every 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 year that this goes on, yep. it becomes a stronger argument is my point. House prices are a function of the affordability of repayments. Yes. And and that's to, to, your, to your point. A lot of the growth in prices has been allowed by the fact that at the same repayment you can afford more house because rates have gone down Mm. and that's why house prices can have gone up so significantly and affordability measured by repayment as a proportion of income has not much changed because rates have fallen which is it's it's a mathematics it's maths right it's like repayments equals price times interest rate Yep. And the lower the interest rate, the higher the price can be at the same repayments. It's literally the maths. Yep. Uh, but at some point, as you say, when those rates stop falling, all you're left with is wage growth mm. to do that maths. And if, if if affordability doesn't increase, then prices can't increase much past a certain point. Yes, we can pay more of our income on mortgage repayments should we choose to. But as you say, that has a natural limit as well. I'll just say one other thing. One other factor which I don't think gets talked about enough, if you want to talk over the last probably 20 or 30 years, is that we've had massively increasing female participation in the workforce, which is brilliant, right? Uh, Absolutely phenomenal. But when you look at household income, 
that's been a massive driver. So gone gone are the bad old days where it was only the, the bloke who went off to work and, and, and the, the <laughs> obedient wife stayed at home and did all the cleaning and cooking and all that. Now we sent, uh, you know, for, for very good reasons, we, we, women were um, uh, more and more adopted into the workforce, but that's, that's increased the, house, the household. Yeah, no. and, 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 and that's been another big factor in what's been uh, able to increase the affordability for, for, mm. for couples. Mm. Um, the irony of it is, is that it, it was always about choice. Well, why shouldn't I as a woman be able to participate on an equal footing with a man and rah, rah, rah. The irony of it is yep. now is it's like, well, actually, most couples don't have a choice anymore. It's, right. it's gone from it's gone from this thing that we should do this because it's wrong. It's it's the right thing to do, and and it's yep. it's, it's wrong to 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 uh, keep women out of the workforce. But now, as as a couple, and I'm any, I'm sure any young couple out there, it's just like it's not a choice that when when not even a, it's not even a thing of of, of gender. You know, what, it, what the man or the wife says, you can't do that these days. You need the dual income. Equal just, opportunity became equal obligation. Yeah, it, that's absolutely. thank you. That's much better. Much better way of putting it. I just thought of it then. Uh, but as well, and riffing off your stuff. No, you're exactly right, mate. That, that, I mean, that, you know, and look, here's the, the other thing, by the way, is we've done it to ourselves. No one's made us do this is the other thing, right? We've all literally, sale by sale, auction by auction, weekend by weekend, we've all gone, well, I can afford to pay a little bit more. Well, then I can afford to, well, I can afford to, well, I can afford to. Mm. And all of a sudden, that's how, that's how it's happened. Like, no, the government hasn't said, ha, 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 you gone back to work. You must now pay twice as much for houses. Mm. We're all idiots as collectively. We all could have said, you know what? Second incomes, great. Women's liberation, women's equal opportunity, fantastic. Look how much more disposable income we've got at the same house prices. We are geniuses. Mm. Except mm. we went, oh, no, I know. We'll buy the same house, but we'll pay twice as much because we can afford to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. The whole yeah. thing is really nuts. Should yeah. we move on? Yep. <laughs> Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, um, you're like an old man rant. Our listeners know that by now. Uh, you, you ranted at the kids. You, no, you haven't really used to be defended the kids, but you did rant about property. What do you think about Black Friday, mate? This invented shopping air quotes, holiday that's uh, imported from the US and is apparently going to inject $4 billion, a record $4 billion into the economy over today, being Friday when this podcast is going live. Uh, over the weekend, Cyber Monday, um, also I thought it was interesting that uh, it, it, it's very old school to actually start Black Friday sales on Black Friday now because I, I've seen every, only one retailer, by the way, have I seen, of all things, a, a four-wheel drive accessories mob who have done this countdown clock. Hey, Black Friday starting on Friday. Mm. Everyone else is like, hey, it's Tuesday. Happy Black Friday, everybody. Here are our offers. Um, what do you reckon, mate? Are we, uh, uh, Black, is it a thing? Should it be a thing? Uh, what do you think about Black Friday? Can I get you to clarify something? When they say it adds $4 <laughs> billion to the economy, is that- No, four... I didn't say that. I said it would, no, it, it'll be $4 billion worth of retail sales. Ah, is that $4 billion in excess of what it would otherwise be? Or is that just? Oh, it probably, it probably is. Well, most of it probably is because the, the thing about the extra discretionary spending you you would do over the next four days, you know, no people have gone. Oh, cool! That's on special at insert retailer here. I might buy that because it's cheap. I don't know. I, I, if I was going to speculate, mate, I would say at least over these four days, it's probably it's got to at least have doubled or tripled discretionary retail sales, doesn't it? Does that does that bring it? People are buying butter for twenty five percent cheaper on a Black Friday sale, right? They're out there buying TVs or couches or computer games or something. Yeah, I, I guess for me the question <laughs> is: Does it bring forward spending that would otherwise happen, or does it add extra stuff with everything else being the same? So this was kind of what a little bit what happened with with COVID, right? 
Um, yes, exactly. Well, Harvey Norman had their results out yeah. yesterday, We're and yeah. and they. Well, I won't get ahead of myself, but they they they. No, go for it, go for it. Let's do it well, now. well, okay. So Harvey Norman had for the first four months of the year, the AGM, mm-hmm. they sort of said um, sales are down about nine percent or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're up 16% from where they were the year before. And the market yeah, actually yeah. fell a little bit on the open but ended up the day pretty flat. I don't think anyone was that surprised because during COVID, yeah, we all spent all this money. Um, uh, but you don't – once you've bought the new computer, the new desk, the new seat, whatever, the printer, whatever you needed for your home office and a few other things, you kind of – you don't need to do it again. So it, what it yeah. really did was just pull spending that would otherwise happen forward a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm always uh, – I don't know. We, we, we like to measure things in discrete periods. I know. But I think the more interesting thing is the longer-term trend and where it was yeah. sort of tracking. And whenever you – sometimes there's no free lunch in, in most cases here. So I, I do wonder if this is just something that, oh, this is a good reason to get that thing that I was always going to get or <laughs> yeah. I'll get it a bit sooner. I don't yeah. – I'm, sh- I'm sure there is an aspect of it. Yes, I'm going to treat myself because it's cheap and I otherwise yeah. wouldn't have ever done that. I'm, I'm sure yeah. that's the case. But I don't know. I don't know. It, it used to be in the old days. Here's another old man rant. That a sale, <laughs> you know, the, the department stores, they sort of had their sale twice a year kind of. And it was a genuine yeah. kind of thing. It just Stop seems- sale. They literally sold stuff out to kind of finish off the half so they could count what was left. Yeah. And 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 now it seems mm, to me whenever mm. I go to the shops, like every shop has sale <laughs> in its window all the time. It's sort of yeah, like the right. new normal right. is sale. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it really is. I always get <laughs> a bit of- uh, fun banter between me and my wife because she'll, you know, come home with something. Because oh, but it was on sale. It's like, but it's always on sale. It's, a, it's not like Mate, the amount of money my wife has saved shopping. We should be squillionaires. Out of all the dollars saved, we should. We, you know, it's one of those. We should be. We should be doing. I love my wife. If you're listening, sweetie, no, she's not. So it's okay. But uh, there's no yes, way. No, no, we, we have saved. So we have like- saved. <laughs> We could get him a four to second house, even in the Sydney property market, the amount of money we've saved over the years. I was like, so we spent money and somehow we've saved money? I don't, I don't. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I, I don't I don't have a strong view on it, mate. I think no. I think at the end, I think to be more mercenary about it, I think the retailers do it because they they feel it works. And I guess if they if they there was a many if there was any yep. truth in whether it worked or not, they would be the source of truth and they're not doing it for charity. So I, I guess it works. And we love a bargain or the perception of a bargain. And um, as long as that is true and as long as that helps boost sales, they'll continue to do it. Yep, I think that's right. It, with with something, look, we don't spend too much time on this, but if you think this through as a, almost a game theory, once you know everyone else is doing it, you have to do it. Mm. And once everyone's doing it, then you can't not do it anymore. And then next year you need to do it to make sure you get the same little sales as last year. Mm. And, it's, and look, like, I, got to, I really like retail for a lot of reasons. But what I really quite like about it is generally speaking, it's pretty... With, with exceptions, relatively pure capitalism. Mm. It is literally the fact that I can go and spend my consumer dollar anywhere, mm. in person or online on anything. And every retailer out there has no – maybe Woolies and Coles, we want to take out staples because, you know, we've got to eat and that sort of stuff. But, you know, every, every retailer. Do I need a new pair of boots? Oh, well, maybe, maybe not. If you convince me to buy it, I might. Mm. Or I can use that money to buy a new hat or computer game or – you know, like mm. it, it's it's a it's a continual battle for my for my money, right? And that's that keeps retail margins low. It keeps, frankly, lots of businesses go go broke trying to compete because mm. it is super cutthroat. And it really is exactly that story, as you say. Who can afford not to do Black Friday sales now? Mm. You know, because because if you don't do it, they're going to spend. I'm going to spend my money somewhere else. I haven't bought anything yet for this Black Friday. I intend not to, but well, I'll let you know next week. Um, I, don't, I haven't had that discussion with my wife yet, so we'll find out. Um, but, you know, th- th- there is money, as you say, being spent. That, that's kind of capitalism at work. And 
for a while it looks like a great thing. Hey, let's go on Boost Stars. We're doing Black Friday, mm. and then you're on that treadmill. I the mm. <laughs> really really quick tangent. Tangent. Buy now, pay later. Afterpay has done an absolute number on retailers, right? And I don't mean this in any illegal or unethical way, but they went to the retailer and said, hey, guess what? Other people are using Afterpay. Their sales are up 60%. You should do that too. I mean, yeah, it's going to cost you 4 or 5 or 6% in commissions, but you, you know, it's worth it, right? 60% more sales. Mm. The retailer's like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. Then they go to every other retailer in the shopping center and say, hey, you should take Afterpay because look at this. So yeah. everyone does. Yeah. And then to your point, the sales are exactly the same as it would be otherwise. Everyone's just bought forward on a one-off basis their afterpay worth of, you know, four weeks, six weeks worth of sales. Now they're all in afterpay debt. Sales don't increase anymore and you're still paying afterpay four or five percent. And if you get rid of it, your sales disappear. It's beautiful. It's just this wonderful... I don't, I, I'm, I'm not going to use... There is a term I've got to make. I'm not going to use because I don't want to get myself in trouble with the good people at afterpay. And I'm not even sure... I'm not even saying they're doing it deliberately to be underhanded or to try and screw anyone or try and, you know, trap them. But that's exactly what's happened, right? Who can afford not to take Afterpay anymore, mm. even though the, the, the rates are extortionate? And you're not getting growth anymore because that, that growth was, hey, let's get people to accept Afterpay. Now they do. Now I've yeah. got to keep offering it just so I don't go backwards. Yeah. And my competitors are doing it, so I have to. It's a, it's a remarkable, you know, kind of um, job they've done to, to earn themselves a really, really nice income stream uh, without actually genuinely improving the lot overall of, of the retail client. Yeah, I often thought that Afterpay and the buy, whole buy now, pay later st- space at maturity is actually not mm. a great business. It's, yeah, a, it's, it's a phenomenal business <laughs> as you grow from like yeah, 100 exactly. million in, exactly. in transaction volume to like 300 billion. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. that's phenomenal. That's that's the success of Afterpay. <laughs> but pay some bills. Because yeah. yeah. what's happened there is a structural shift in how people are sort of paying. But once mm. that plays mm. out, you're left with you're left with a pretty ordinary credit business. Um, yeah. By the way, so <clears throat> tangent on a tangent here. Have you heard <laughs> of I Before did. Pay? I. I will say very, very clearly, I hate the hell out of before pay <laughs> okay. and come at I me. I thought people. you would. Come, I, come I the hell would. at me. I, I would, I would swear. Should I be so inclined? And I am so inclined, but I won't. Come at me on before pay. So before pay, I'm not a fan either. Um, for those that don't know, it's a, it's a company that's listing. Uh, I think they're going to go to the ASX early next year or December. But, but, but they're listing. It's one of these companies that only actually started in the last couple of years. Now, now with the market. Capitalization or expected market capitalization of 140 million or something. Tell me now. And it's called before pay because what you can do is you can you can get your paycheck early. It's basically what it is is it's um it's payday lending dressed up in a tech guise with a slightly uh-huh. different structure. So as afterpay was basically credit cards dressed up in a slightly different way with a different structure. And yes, I know there's nuance yeah. and difference. So please don't at me on Twitter and say, oh, oh it's completely different because of this. That, it, there yeah. is no one who there is no one who will at you more than an afterpay shareholder. I know, I know. I know from experience. I know. And I think I think there are some I think there are, look they it is <laughs> afterpay is is superior to a credit card mm, for mm. a bunch of reasons. So I'm not I'm not mm. I'm not making it too equivalent there. And I think before pay is better than going to see a loan shark or, or getting a payday loan <laughs> yes, where you're going to get yes, charged yes. ridiculously. So what they do is yep. you say, look, I, I need some money now. Um, I'm not <laughs> going to get paid for another week. And I'll say, that's okay. Yep. We'll lend you the money now. Um, we'll, I think the average balance is something like three or 400 bucks and they charge you 5% flat fee on that. So, you, so it's like, great. <laughs> that's really great. You know, but the, the trouble is though, the trouble, it's a couple of things. The trouble is, um, all you do is you pull that forward and then, then you, now you're on, now you're on a new treadmill. I think and it's in a hole, right? Because instead of getting paid every four weeks, you pull the first pay forward. Yep. So you get paid in two weeks rather than four. Mm. But the next payday is not for another six weeks. Yep. 
So you're not going to make your money last six weeks. You have to get pull that, that pay forward as well. But what it's, here's, a, it's a drug. It is a absolute freaking drug. Here is the genius of it, though, and genius in a Machiavellian sense. Yeah. yeah. Is that the company used to be called Checks, and you know it was spelt <laughs> in the, the dot commy tech kind of way. It wasn't with an X. Yeah, it was some short with something like that. <laughs> C H X or something with the Chex, no, no vowels. Checks, yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 they changed the name to before pay. <laughs> masterstroke. What a masterstroke. You can, you, yep. you can get, I guarantee you right now, a bunch of punters out there going, oh, wait a sec, Afterpay? Afterpay was good. Before pay. <laughs> that sounds similar. Yep. Uh, lots of, lots of growth structure. Who doesn't want to get paid early? It's only 5%. What's yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it goes really well. Oh, um, yeah. The interesting thing is, we actually had a bit of a read of the prospectus and they're actually, the, the unit economics are terrible. They actually lost money. So mm. they, they lent people a whole bunch of uh, money. <laughs> Um, and then they had to write a bunch of it off more than they even made in profit because yeah. because the people people couldn't pay it back, and so it's it's uh, it's a whole other segment for the podcast. But I I, I feel as though there's actually a <laughs> chance that they do reasonably well, but again, once at scale, once at maturity, it's it's actually a very ordinary business, and it's one that's extremely low margin. It's one that requires there's a huge amount of credit risk and availability of, of capital. Like if you grow, you need more and more money to lend out. Mm. Uh, they don't do a lot of the credit checks that, that, that like with Afterpay because they, they rely on sort of these <laughs> systems and some advanced maths and the rest of it. So it's kind of, it's all very yeah, interesting. And if, if you're out yeah. there and I think, you know, something some something crazy like 56% of people have less than a week's worth of savings, which is an indictment on our society more than it is and on, this makes on it individuals. Worse, right? Rather than actually saying, hey, Sort your shit, excuse my language, mm. sort your stuff out. Mm. You say, oh, no, I'll just give the money early. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Can, you imagine, but- can you imagine what would happen if every boss in the country said to their, t- their employees, hey, guys, great news. You're getting paid 5% less, but I'll pay you a week early. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine yeah. how bananas everyone would go? Yeah. Now, this thing comes in to attack vulnerable people who need them pay early because they literally can't pay the bills. Yeah. And they get on this drug they can't get off because extending the next pay period to six weeks at some point to get back off that treadmill mm-hmm. is going to be almost impossible. If you need to put your pay forward, there is zero chance you can then push that back an extra couple of weeks to get back on level. Uh, so I'm not a, look, I'm not a fan of that whole idea. But I will say that it, it, is, it, it is a lesser of two evils. So when you get with a payday lender, you get into a debt spiral you can't get out of. We talk yes. about the powers of compounding all the time. Yep. Yep. When you've got a loan with 20% interest on yep. it, that's compounding in reverse. And that, that's a very hard hole to dig yourself out of because then you start paying interest on interest on interest on interest and it just it just really gets away with you. At least with this product, that can't happen. So if you miss your payments or whatever, they'll just stop lending it to you and you're only ever on the hook for the 5%. Maybe there's a yep. late fee or something in there. But and, and look, yes, targeting vulnerable people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if I was... if I was in that situation. I had the choice yep. between going to see the local loan shark down at the pub who's going to break my kneecaps and charge me ridiculous, you know, want my firstborn child as security versus this. I think it's, I think it is superior. Um, it's also interesting too, because they're kind of doing what Uber did and what Afterpay did, which is it's always better to ask for forgiveness than permission because it's kind of a bit of a gray area in a regulatory sense. Like, Let's just do it. And if we get big enough, then we'll be, too big to sort of shut down and we kind of get away with it, which is exactly what happened with Uber and Afterpay. Um, so it's, it's fascinating space and I don't know how we got onto that, but uh, Beyond Pay, <laughs> what a great name. Oh, sorry, before Pay, before Beyond Pay. There we go, mate. Million dollar, billion dollar idea right there. Right there. Trademark it right now before this podcast hits the airwaves, man, otherwise we'll lose it. <laughs> Beyond Pay, I love it. I love it. Um, here is my, here's my official financial advice warning. Please, for the love of God, don't use Before Pay. Do what you have to do. 
to not use before pay. If you have to, if you find yourself there, as Andrew says, better than going to the, the you know, the, the loan shark in the corner seat of the pub and, you know, getting your kneecaps taken out. But seriously, I, I know people are in tough, dire straits. I really, really get it. I get that it seems attractive. You can't get off this drug once you get on it. It's going to be so stupidly hard because if you need to pull for pay forward, there is no chance you can then afford to save enough money to push it back. It just mathematically is not going to It's like this it. stupid rent moratorium in, in COVID. Hey, everyone's really yeah. suffering and people can't, you know, people who work in hospitality, mm-hmm. you can't pay. So we, you don't have to pay rent. Oh, wow, that, thank you. That, that really stops everything collapsing. Oh, but you have to pay it back. <laughs> so, yeah. now, so, Rack up so, the rent so you didn't have yeah. to pay rent for a, for a few months, and now you've got to pay double rent. And just, no one's going to get back on top of that. So it's it's kind of yeah. a bit bit uh, crazy, I think. All right, mate. Let's finish off with something that's uh, we won't, we haven't got too long left because we've as un- unusually for us ranted and tangented <laughs> through the entire podcast. Only eight other um, items on the agenda. Yeah, but, look, I, yeah, exactly. I I, I, I generators ago, mate. Deleted the whole thing. Just, just <laughs> guess. Um, this this is fact. You you like Howard Marks, so I'm I'm reluctant to bring this up and ask you to try and keep this tight. But I'm going to do my level best. Howard Marks is the the famed, although not as well known as he should be, investor mm. out of the US. Mm. Runs Oak Tree Capital. Um, he writes regular memos, uh, like Buffett and others do. Marx's memos went nowhere for years. Finally got discovered. Anyway, a guy worth listening to. Yeah, subscribe. It's free. Yeah, yeah Oakmark Investments or something. Capital Just just Google Howard Marx memo. Howard Marx memo. Yeah, yeah, you'll find it. Um, and Marx, in his latest memo, talks a little bit about the risk for. And he's he's a old stodgy cranky kind of, you know, distressed dead investor, right? This is not some high-flying tech executive who's on the hot new things everywhere. Um, but Marx talks about, and let me just give you the quote here. Um, it says, anyone who believes all the firms on today's list of leading growth companies will still be there in five or 10 years has a good chance of being proved wrong. Mm. For investors, this means there's a new world order. Words, oh God, don't don't at me about conspiracy theories. Words like stable, defensive, and moat will be less relevant in future. Much of investing will require more technological expertise than it did in the past, and investments made on the assumptions that tomorrow will look like yesterday must be subject to vastly increased scrutiny. Mm. Now, this is this is Marx. This is not as it's not Elon Musk. It's not Steve Jobs. It's not Bill Gates. It's not. Whoever the you know coolest tech kids are these days, he's not not talking about blockchains and Ethereum's. No, Andrew, I'm not going to let you talk about that. <laughs> um, he's just saying at a, at a company level, at a just you know, and the biggest and best businesses, he's saying, hey, if you think the future is going to be like the past, more so than any time in history, you want to be really, really, really careful what you assume because uh, the, the speed of progress, the the ability for the current leaders to be supplanted, replaced, mm. overtaken by the new guys mm. is likely to happen in a much, much quicker way, a much more complete way because growth is so fast. We've talked about before, mate, in the 50s and 60s, if you want to grow your steel mill business, you had to go and build a new steel mill. It took you seven or eight years. Mm. And you might have added a third five years later and a fourth 10 years later and a fifth 25 years later. Huge amounts of capital and, investment Right, required. capital on time and effort mm. and it doesn't scale very well because mm. each new plant has its own requirements. So these days... You got a new bit of so- think about how, how fast Zoom took off in the last two years. Mm. Obviously, for for you know, the obvious COVID reasons, but went through the roof. Well, it, it took off, but why Zoom? Why not Skype? Skype's been around forever. That right it, it yeah. ostensibly serves the exact same purpose. And that's almost that's almost market. And that's point, the point. Right? That's the these point. guys yeah. were the market leaders. Skype, even Cisco had its own Webex system or something. I think the Motley Fool we used it for a while. It was installed in the offices, in the meeting rooms, like mm. their webcams. Like we we'd spent a, a small fortune on hardware. Mm. 
within 18 months of Zoom being around, mm. we'd rip the hole out. You know, so, so people would have said, oh, no, we've got to lock on these guys. There's a, you like trapdoor moats, Andrew. There's a trapdoor mm. moat here. We've already got our equipment in the, in the office. People aren't going to just get rid of that, are they? Mm. Literally less than 18 months after Zoom hit the big time, the fool had ripped out all of our, I'm pretty sure it was Cisco systems, and replaced them all with Zoom cameras. Mm. And who's to say it won't happen? Again, in the next six months, 12 months, five years, 10 years. Mm. So Mark's into about Zoom specifically, by the way, and, and we're just using it as an example, but just it's just really, really important. Mm. Um, and this again, this is for an old, stodgy, cranky, you know, distressed dead investor who is just saying, hey, guys, this is going to, you know, things are changing. You need to not assume the, the future looks like the past. There is a term for this. Um, I think it's called the great acceleration and nice. it's fascinating. So if you look at, name your metric, whether it's food production, energy production, mm-hmm. consumption, whether it's uh, any anything that you might want to measure to measure the pace of change in society, mm. it's hockey sticking at the moment. So yeah, right. for, you know, I think um, – agricultural society formed 10,000 years ago and it was a very straight line. And then we kind of hit this industrial revolution and then things started to accelerate. Then we've hit this information revolution (laughs) and then it started to accelerate further. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so whether it's population growth, whether it's infant mortality, whether it's anything, it is going up and to the right at a far, far, far greater pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fascinating because it's 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 a new thing in the world. It's we've never been at this pace of change. And there's also a mathematical argument mm-hmm. here as well because again, trees don't grow to the sky. So it's kind of mm-hmm. it says sort of one of two things logically to me. Either we go on to godlike omnipotence <laughs> through <laughs> the powers of uh, the singularity and advanced AI and fusion <laughs> energy, and which is possible, totally, hopefully possible, because the the alternate is that. <laughs> it, it crashes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. right and again, just, it, it just has to at some at yeah. some point. Yeah. We either find fundamentally new ways of doing things. It really comes back to energy at, at the end of the day. Um, but like, so it's a bit of a tangent, but I think that gets to what Marx is talking about um, and that the pace of change is just so rapidly expanding. So in the mm. old days, mm. you could be the most talented, gifted entrepreneur in the world. If you didn't have access to capital, mm. you just mm. couldn't do anything. Now, if you've got an internet connection... You can subscribe to Salesforce, Xero, uh, Mailchimp, a few other sort of online SaaS programs yes, for, yes. for pennies in the dollar. You know, yep. you know, it maybe cost you three hundred bucks a year for the services that would require you totally, tens of oh, thousands yeah. with an accountant yeah, yeah, and all of yeah. that. So, so, yep. so the barriers to entry are really, really, really low. Not only that, but you've now more interconnected. You can connect to all kinds. Of, you can reach. I, I could start up a business. And most of my money comes from Zimbabwe, right? Now, potentially. Um, I, I've truly got access to a global um, mm-hmm. uh, marketplace. And I've also access to capital has never been better. So all of these mm. things that allow the Atlassians of this world to go from <laughs> an idea in someone's head in their mum's basement to right. a multi-billion dollar company is, right. is happening. And, it, and that is only, this is my point, is it's, it's only accelerating. Marx has got a really good point. So when you're looking at a, at a business today that is potentially with very strong moats, dominates its market, maybe strong network effects, uh, scale advantages and the rest of it. That's a nice situation to be in and you'd you'd take it uh, over nothing. But they're not as powerful as they once were. And Mm. and that that to me actually is one of the things to be wary of with a lot of these hyper-growth companies that are trading on price to sales of 60 and the rest of it. It's kind of like... It's actually not that stupid if you feel in ten years that the while they're bleeding cash now they are they are going to just absolutely Tesla right 
what's that? It's sixty mm-hmm. times yeah, sales, right. something. Yeah, yeah. But you can you can squint and it'd be good if Doc was here because I'm sure he would say yes. But uh, you know, at maturity, they're just gushing cash. They own the mm. biggest chunk mm. of the market, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that might be true, yep. but. But ten years is an eternity in in the modern age, and and we can't predict. What was the other car company that listed recently? Rivian. Rivian. Yes. You know, and that's a whole other kettle of fish that yep. we could dive yep. into yep. on another episode. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, they they they, they might ab- absolutely make that future cash flow assumption much more difficult to make. So I yeah I mm. I don't know what the, I don't know what the so what is. I think the so what is. Be careful with forecasting out too far into the future. Um, I think that's right. Because because things just yeah. are, are so rapidly changing. I think, mate, we've talked about the impact of interest rates on companies that have profits well into the future. Mm. And I think Marx's warning I would take as just be extra careful about how you think about those future profits. Yeah. Because if you're not making money until year five or seven or eight mm. and or by then – you know, if a competitor is on the scene, imagine buying Skype five years ago saying, I'm going to buy Skype because I think there's going to be a big increase in whatever it was, right? Yep. And all of a sudden, as you say, you're booking five years. Everyone's going to use online video conferencing, mm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for all the, all the reasons that end up turning out being right. Yeah. And you just get raced past. If you'd have bought Skype on the 2027 profit forecast mm. or 2023 profit forecast, mm. And Zoom's like gone straight past you, like, oh man, like I didn't say that coming. I think that's that's kind of the point, right? If you're in that space, yep. you have to. And I'm not even saying don't buy those businesses. You know, uh, if and when Tesla makes meaningful amounts of money, it might do that for 40 years. Mm. And to your point, mm. might gush cash for the whole time. Mm. And or Rivian might, or one beats the other, or car margins for the, the the further into the future. And I was asked <laughs> really quick one. I was asked about brain chip on the call. Uh, oh yeah, Ozbiz this week. I got flamed on social media for days, right? Because people keep saying, but can't you see, obviously this is going to happen. They've got this agreement and that deal and they're going to be there. And these people might be exactly right, mate. Mm. And, and I wasn't saying this this thing can't make money, short it, it's going to zero. I just said, it's a bit of a lottery ticket, right? Maybe it's worth nothing or maybe it's worth a heap, but it's a long time in the future. At some point, they may or may not have large amounts of customers or large amounts of installations and or no competition mm. or a whole lot could be different by then and we're looking so far into the future, I don't know the answer. Mm. And I think that's, you know, my, my, my take on Marx's comment is just be careful how much you assume is happening X years out because if the pace of change is happening that quickly, if I've got to wait till 2028 for a return from my company, maybe I get it or maybe by then, you know, the, the, the BlackBerry Mark III that I was planning to, to release has been superseded by the iPhone mm. or, and again, choose your industry, choose your, choose your example. Mm. But Skype and Zoom, I think, is a great example yeah. uh, that you raised of exactly that issue. You know, Skype was the air, air presumptive mm. and then just literally left in the dust. And you could have been absolutely right. It's a market leader. Yeah, it's doing the thing with Microsoft. Yeah, it's going to be big. Yeah, it's being bundled with every outlook. Oh, yeah, great. There are so many reasons why Skype would have been the massive beneficiary of COVID. And in one universe, it probably is. In this universe, turns out, Zoom just went straight past it, took everything with it. So if you look at the, if you buy an um, S&P 500 ETF today yep. and you yep. look at the top 10 holdings, yeah, those names would have been completely Correct. unfamiliar to most people 15 years ago. Yes. Um, and 15 years ago, the names that were there that seemed unbeatable, unassailable, yeah. are nowhere to be seen. So it's not, it's not much of a stretch to sort of say in the year 2035, mm-hmm. the dominant companies with the biggest market caps that everyone's buying, not that they might not even exist yet. 
Maybe it's maybe it's before pay, <laughs> which yeah. only just is about to list. You know, yeah, yeah. You, you don't know. You, that, that's what's really, really, yep. really hard about about all of this kind but, of stuff. Investing is much uh, yeah. more difficult for a bunch of reasons. That's one very big reason why I think it's much more difficult today. Now everyone has so much access to information. Back in the day when Buffett started, his huge edge was he just would just get all these paper reports and read them all. Which you know, mm. now I can now I can I, I just download it instantly and have people summarize it and all kinds of analysis and takes. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to get an edge these days. So I don't know, maybe this is all, maybe this is all just a, a big plug for, for low index, uh, <laughs> uh, low cost index tracking ETFs. Yeah. I don't know. But there, there are worse ideas. I think you, you made the point of 2036. My last point on this is just Marx's point is 15 years ago compared to now, the next iteration of that might be five years away rather than 15. Yeah, right, right. You know, his point is the, the pace is accelerating and the ability to, you know, of, that, of those 15 companies, most of them might have made it for five, seven, eight, 10, mm. 12 before falling away. Yeah, yeah. His point is that it's very possible. He's not predicting, he's just saying be, be careful because there is so much growth and change in tech that it may, not be, it may not be 10, 15 years, it may be five or seven years. And in which case, if you're assuming this is going to be on forever, you need to keep tabs on the companies you own because you can't assume that you know, own, owning, owning some farmland, there'll be some farmland in X year's time. Can I make a bold call? Um, oh, and then we'll finish up. On this topic, I think yes. that one potential company in this, in as an example here, might be Facebook. So Facebook is absolutely mm-hmm. the dominant social platform. It's massive. Mm-hmm. Um, very hard for you and me to compete against them because everyone's on Facebook. Google tried to do it with Google Plus, if you remember, not that long ago. Yes, I do. <laughs> Google tried to do I it. I have a Google Plus account somewhere still. I think maybe it's gone. I now, actually thought it was a superior uh, platform. That's um, good, actually, yeah, yeah. But but they just couldn't compete because of very very potent network effects. I actually see that mm-hmm. as something that is is uh, so when so moats are very strong, network mm-hmm. effects are very powerful. But when they they're not impossible to break, and when they mm-hmm. do break, they tend to break very rapidly. Look at MySpace mm-hmm. and then Facebook, mm-hmm. right? So MySpace had all of the qualities that Facebook had, and then Facebook yep. came along. Yes, exactly. And when it when that when the transition happened, it happened super quick. And I think with the way that Facebook is, I think it's going to have huge regulatory pressures. I think, not getting into crypto, but I think a lot of this sort of decentralized technology actually makes for, for better social networks. It's probably five or 10 years away, but I think at a point, and it, mm. Facebook is now the, was where all the kids were on and now it's all the, yep. now it's all the parents. Kids, <laughs> when your grandparents signed with Facebook, you know it's got the stays limited. Kids right? don't use Facebook anymore, right? Um, right. So right. I, I, I would, I'd actually be a little bit concerned as a Facebook shareholder. I, I don't know if they've got quite the strength that they, you know, muck, muck, muck. Zuck is trying to um, reinvent it as a metaverse kind of company. Yes. Uh, maybe they'll have some success there, but I think they, they kind of potentially see that they need to continue to innovate too, like innovate or die basically is the mantra. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I think that's right. So I, you know, I was going to say I wish them luck. I don't. I think it's probably one of the it's like it's probably one of the more evil forces on the planet, and, and, and responsible for a whole bunch of society's ills. Sorry, uh, Andrew Page, P A G E. Oh, I like to say they had that whistleblower show exactly how the algorithms work. You know, we, we sort of shake our head at all these anti-vax protests. Like, well, in their world, given everything they're seeing, it actually makes perfect sense. I mean, that's mm. and that's being fueled by Facebook. But this, anyway, why am I getting into another rant? Um, I'm going to shut up. Thank you, mate. Um, if, uh, so my very quick, very quick call out. Um, we're going to do a mailbag episode on Sunday. Andrew is going to be here. I'm not going to ask him. I'm going to assume. Yep. But I also want to ask you for your questions. Um, you know the usual. I'm not going to run them through. We haven't got that much time. We're way over, mate. Um, yes, please, please join us on Sunday. Please send us your questions. We love you. We're looking forward to it. See you Sunday. Full on. Cheers. 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.